Today's scripture reading comes from Romans fifteen seven. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You may be seated. I barely made it. As you're being seated, let's, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you uh, for this morning. Uh, we thank you for this morning that we can come, and as we've already sung, come as your children, come uh, into the presence of the Father because we have your righteousness. Uh, we have uh, all that you uh, have done for us, uh, credited to us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would now, by your Spirit, speak to us, uh, encourage us, give us ears to hear and eyes to see uh, what you want to do with us as your people this morning. Amen. Well, good morning, Christ City. Good morning. Awesome. That was so good. The first gathering, not so much. Uh, good. My name is Jake. I'm part of the team here. Uh, if you don't know me, we're planting a church in, uh, in East Vancouver in September. And so that's why uh, you might not recognize me. I get to hang out with you guys on occasion. Brett's actually recovering from a, a surgery on his knee, which was a long overdue. Uh, so if you can pray for him, I know he would appreciate that. This week... Uh, marks the beginning of a five-week series we're doing called We Are Christ City. We Are Christ City. And the idea, the foundational idea in this series, and it shouldn't be new to you, is that the church is not a, a building, it's a group of people. The church is not a building, it's a group of, of people. And as Christ City, as the church, this group of people, we need to learn how to engage uh, culturally, socially, in every realm uh, as the church. Uh, this week we're talking about hospitality, what it means to be a hospitable people. Uh, next week is creation care. Uh, the week after that is work. And then finally we're going to be talking about technology. The fifth uh, week of this series, we're actually going to be installing for the first time ever uh, deacons at Christ City. And so we're very excited about that. This week though, like I said, our topic is hospitality. Now you might be wondering out of the gate, like what's he going to do? Like a whole sermon on dinner parties? Or like a, a whole sermon on, on, you know, recipes that he can share with us. Well, hospitality. It's, it's a strange, strange word, maybe to, to most of us here. I want to lead with this because I really believe this, and then we can spend the rest of our time unpacking this. But I really do believe that the key to reaching people who don't know Jesus, the key to reaching people who don't know Jesus, so this is important, in Vancouver in the 21st century is going to be hospitality. Opening not only our mouths, but our tables as well. Uh, one of my favorite examples of what we call gospel hospitality uh, comes from this book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key uh, by Rosaria Butterfield. Let me encourage you right now this morning, uh, buy this book. Uh, it's fantastic. You should buy this book. I will reference it often uh, this morning. Uh, and so, so it's a great book. I recommend it to you. But in that book, uh, author Rosaria Butterfield talks about how hospitality played a role in her own coming to Jesus. Uh, if you don't know Rosaria's story, it's, it's really compelling. Uh, Rosaria was a, a gender studies professor at the University of Syracuse, openly gay gender studies professor at the University of Syracuse. So typical Christian convert. Uh, and, and so Rosaria uh, comes uh, to uh, this, this point in her life where she's engaging uh, with dealing with the religious right uh, in America. And she's writing about religion and politics in America. Again, not a controversial issue at all. And she writes this, this article in the local paper. And she gets, predictably, uh, some angry responses from Christians uh, who, who, who understandably disagree with her position on, on the religious right and religion and politics in America. But she gets one letter uh, from Ken and Floyd Smith. 
Ken and Floyd Smith. Ken and Floyd, Ken's a Reformed Presbyterian pastor. And all he's doing is inviting Rosaria over to his house for a conversation. We'd love to continue this dialogue further, he says. So for two years, for two years, Rosaria goes to the house of Ken and Floyd Smith. Not like once a week or like, you know, whenever the formal invitation is made to her. No, like literally whenever she wants. She just shows up and, and hangs out. At the end of this two years, Rosaria becomes a, a follower of Jesus. Uh, has her life radically changed, uh, moves to Durham, North Carolina, uh, marries a man there, and together their home is committed to what she calls radically ordinary hospitality. Radically ordinary hospitality. In her book, she defines radically ordinary hospitality like this. Radically ordinary hospitality is using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors into the family of God. Using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors into the family of God. This is what we're talking about today. See, when we come to the topic of hospitality, even just culturally, immediately we think of a few things. We think perhaps of the hospitality industry, right? When you pay someone a lot of money to to bring you food and to be nice to you, and to call you like Mr. Lefebvre or something like that, and to make your bed for you. Or we think of the hospitality industry. Or, or we think of somebody who's like, you know, they're hospitable, right? They're, like, they're a good cook, perhaps. Uh, you know, they don't put their backpack on the seat beside them in the bus. They're, like, they're a nice, hospitable kind of person. So like this throwaway sort of the language. This is what we're talking about when we talk about hospitality. That hospitality seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors in the family of God. The word for hospitality in the New Testament is a compound of, of these two words in the language of the New Testament of, of love and stranger, of love and stranger. And what we're going to discover this morning is that the entire biblical narrative from Old Testament to New Testament, God is concerned with taking those who are on the outside, those who are not part of his people, and bringing them to the inside. How? In, in what way? Uh, through uh, people and, and the church showing love to the stranger, love to the outsider, love to those who are not in the covenant people. So I want to give us a really quick outline for this morning. Uh, we need to be convinced, because we'll say some pretty hard things, we need to be convinced of hospitality biblically. So I want to spend, if you'll let me, uh, a few moments unpacking the story of hospitality. Uh, unsurprisingly, this story will climax in the person and work of Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. From there, after we see the story of hospitality, point two and three, uh, we'll ask the really simple question, what does this mean for us to be a hospitable people in Vancouver in the 21st century? What, what does this actually mean for us? Then finally, we'll ask, if this is true, and we have these practical guidelines, why don't we actually do this? Why don't we actually do this? What prevents us from doing this? Sound good? Awesome. Story of hospitality begins, well, at the beginning. Uh, Genesis, if this is new to you, this is good news. God created us. The Bible says God created us. Further, it says that God created us in his own image. Now, there are many things that we could say about being made in the image of God. In fact, many things that we have said about being made in the image of God. But one of the implications about being made in the image of God is that we're made in the image of a triune God. A God who is three in one. A community of persons unto himself. That's why the Bible can say things like, God is love. Right? 
I can't say Jake is love. I can say I love. But within the three persons of the Trinity, there exists love, this eternally existing love. And we are made in the image of this triune God, this communal God. We, therefore, are communal people. We are people who long for, in our bones, isn't it true? To be known by others and to know others in return. We long for community. And in fact, in the first pages of the Bible, we see this perfect community on display. Man with woman and woman with man and man and woman with God. It's a beautiful picture. If if you know the story, though, you know that 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 picture doesn't last for long. In comes sin, in comes rebellion. And the result of sin is divine exclusion. Divine exclusion. If you've ever read the Genesis account before, you know there's like flaming swords Adam and Eve walking east of Eden. It's divine exclusion. By nature, we move from being insiders with our creator to being outsiders. We are children outside of Christ, not of inclusion, but of exclusion. Fast forward a couple of years in the Bible and we come to, uh, to, to Genesis 3. Abraham, more than a couple of years, I should say. God decides that he will make a people out of Abraham. And in particular, he makes uh, three promises to this people that he will show divine hospitality to. First promise is this. He will make out of Abraham's descendants a great nation. He's going to be divinely hospitable to to these people. The second blessing, or, or the promise rather, is that through Abraham's descendants, they will bless all nations. It doesn't just stay in here, but it goes out. They will bless all nations. Thirdly, that God will make Abraham's name great. If we can for a second, I want to zero in on that second promise. That God will bless all nations through Abraham. Now again, blessing is this common sort of vernacular for us today that means getting stuff, right? Or going on vacation, or like winning the lottery. We're hashtag blessed, right? But, but, but for, for Abraham and, and for the context of the Bible blessing here, yes, it includes things like land and, and children and, and food. It includes that. But the idea of blessing here for Abraham that he is to bring to the nations is this sort of trajectory changing blessing. To take a nation that was previously heading towards destruction and, and, and sin and death and to take them away from that and bring them to life. This is the blessing that Abraham is to bring to, to all the nations, to all the people. It's a blessing that we could describe as making strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family of God. Again, if you know the story, and I really do encourage you, if you don't know the story, you should read the story. Try as Israel might. Try as Israel might. Try as we might. Uh, they fail in their mission to bless all the nations. And, and there are a lot of things we could say about Israel's failure to bless the nations. But I think there are two things that are very important as we think about hospitality this morning. The first is this. Hospitality begins with us not becoming like the culture, but in understanding the ways that we've been called to be a distinct counterculture. One of the reasons Israel failed to be a blessing to the nations is that over time, they began to look like the nations. They were indistinguishable from the rest of the nations. All over the Old Testament, we find passages like this in 2 Kings 17, speaking of Israel, speaking of these people who are supposed to be a blessing. 
They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. Listen, they went after false idols and became false. They followed the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. I I think some of us have this idea in our head and I think it's particularly true of those around my age and, and my generation that to reach our neighbors, that to reach people who don't know Jesus, we have to become exactly like people who don't know Jesus. That we need to talk like our neighbors. That we need to watch the same shows as our neighbors. You know, how will I reach them if I don't know how Game of Thrones ended, right? We need to drink the same beer as our neighbors. What God is doing with Abraham and his people And as we'll see, what what God is doing with Jesus and his people is creating a distinct counterculture who in word and in deed, in word and in deed, are bearing witness to a new way of living, a, a new sort of kingdom, a distinct counterculture. That's the first thing we can learn. The second thing we can learn from Israel's failure is that reflecting on the divine hospitality that you and I have personally received is key. In fact, is the most important thing in in showing it to others. If we go again in the story, Israel ends up in Egyptian captivity. And if you haven't read this, spoiler alert, that they're eventually rescued from Egyptian captivity. But they were in captivity as, as a sojourning stranger people, right? They were oppressed. Yes, the covenant people of God, but they were oppressed. Sojourners and strangers. They're delivered. They're given the Ten Commandments. And then they're given what we could call the judgments. How we live out those Ten Commandments. How is this nation to live? And interesting to note that as the Lord is instructing them, look, look at the logic that he employs. He says, you shall not oppress a sojourner. Why? Because that's mean. Like, that's not very nice. You should not oppress a sojourner. Why? Because you, Israel, you, O people of God, you know the heart of a sojourner. For you, you, not some like abstract people, you were sojourners in the land of, of Egypt. See, what ends up happening is that Israel begins to treat the surrounding nations the way that they themselves were treated. They begin to act like Egypt towards these other, these other nations. Equally as ruthless, equally as harsh, equally as unforgiving. As you read the Old Testament, there's this constant refrain for God's people, for God's people to remember what he has done for them. And that's for two reasons. The first is obvious, that they might be moved to worship, that it would impact their vertical relationship uh, as you would. But, But the second is not so obvious. I don't think we think through this, actually that it would impact also their, their horizontal relationships with one another. Having been rescued from much, having been freed from Egyptian captivity, not only that, but, but how you were freed from Egyptian captivity. Are, will you now? And are you going to continue to oppress the sojourner? Continue to be inhospitable to the stranger? If we continue in the story, we might not have been with Israel as they left Egypt. But we, the Bible tells us, have an exodus moment of our own. A moment where God welcomed us, the stranger, into his family. And that moment is the climax of the biblical story of hospitality. God's promise 
to bless the nations through Abraham comes to fruition is fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. When Jesus flings wide the gates, invites all nations in. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes the divine hospitality shown to us. Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Now let me skip down to verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now now listen to this language of exclusion he uses. Look at verse 12. Remember that you were at that time what? Separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you want to were what? Far off. Not even close. Far off. Have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Friends, this is the message of the gospel. That Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, has made us one people. That's what the end of Galatians was all about. We are one people now. One people in Christ. And if we're going to talk about hospitality this morning, we have to start here. Because otherwise, the practical implications I will lay out for us in the coming moments will become a burden and tiresome and just more religious duty. Radically ordinary hospitality is built on the foundation of the gospel. Begins with the gospel, is fueled by the gospel. If Galatians has taught us anything, is that we don't do away with the gospel. Radically ordinary hospitality is fueled and built on the foundation of the gospel. And that's precisely the point in Romans 15, right? Therefore, Paul writes, welcome one another. Why? Again, because it's nice. As Christ has welcomed you, to what end? To the glory of God. If there's even a bigger picture of hospitality, it's that it gives glory to God. I think we can agree this morning. We want to give God like the, the, the most glory we can. We want to make a big deal of him to the 10,000th degree. Hospitality does that. And the question now is how do we, practically speaking, having seen the gospel, understood that we lay on the foundation of the gospel, how do we actually do this? What does it mean to be hospitable in Vancouver in the 21st century? I want to give us the where, the who, and the what of hospitality. First, where is hospitality to take place? This might sound really obvious to you, but let me make this explicit. The place that is best suited for making strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God is your home. It's your home. And here we have to address the elephant in the room. If I can borrow some more animal imagery, homes are sacred cows in Vancouver. Homes are sacred cows in Vancouver. We watch television programs. We buy books. We follow people on Instagram that fixate on the purchasing, renovating, decorating, and flipping of homes. We spend countless hours at work and with our friends discussing the current housing market. If you rent, you complain. You complain about what you could have got at a certain price point. If you own, you complain about what you could have got for your house a a few years ago. 
The phrase, home is where the heart is, couldn't be a more accurate description of what our city loves. We love our homes. We love our homes. We believe that the good life is only one shrewd land purchase, one great Craigslist find, or one massive kitchen renovation away. Christ City, if, if we're to practice radically ordinary hospitality, it has to begin with repentance. It has to begin with a shift in viewing our homes as the object of our affections to viewing them as a gracious gift by which we make strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family of God. It has to begin there. Who does your home belong to? Who does it belong to? I'm not asking you whose name is on the lease or whose name is on the mortgage. Who does your home belong to? Does it belong to you or does it belong to Jesus? Does it belong to you for you to use however you please, to indulge whatever you'd like, or does it belong to Jesus for him to use however he pleases? David sings, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Let me say that again. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The where of hospitality, let's not mince words here, is the home. Is the home. And if for whatever reason you don't have a home to welcome strangers into, come alongside someone in the community who does. That's the where of hospitality. If you're still with me and you're not super mad at me in your mind, I want to show you the who of hospitality. What might surprise some of us, and was surprising to me at least, is that the biblical picture of hospitality is equally concerned with us being hospitable to those inside the church and outside the church. There's a command to do both of those things. We know this because we just read in our Galatians series, right? So then, as we have opportunity, which again is, is today, this today's the opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Everyone means everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, the context of Romans 15, a passage that we've read tr- twice now, is, is Christians to Christians. Now, just before that in Romans, Paul says, contribute to the needs of saints and seek to show hospitality. That's in the church. Peter says more or less the same thing. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality begins with the family of God. Listen again to the testimony of Rosaria. She writes, Kent and I, that's her husband, practice daily hospitality as a way of life because we must. We must. We remember what it was like to be lonely. We remember that odd contradiction to be told on the Lord's Day. She's a Reformed Presbyterian, so she calls it the Lord's Day, which if you want to adopt, I'd be, I'd be fine with that. To be told on the Lord's Day that you are part of the family of God, but then to limp along throughout the rest of the long week like an orphan begging bread. Don't mishear me. I think community groups are great. I love community groups. In fact, we just had a community group training time. But if community groups and the hour and a half or two hours that we open our homes each week if this is the extent to, the, to which we are hospitable to one another, if we think that that is sufficient to answer the loneliness problem, a problem that very much exists within the church, within the people of God, then we have deceived ourselves. 
Now, hospitality begins with the family of God, but it certainly, of course, extends to the stranger. In Luke 10, we find this famous parable of the parable of the Good Samaritan. A teacher of the law, an expert in the law, asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In other words, who can I get away with not loving? Like, like who, are, who are the people I can kind of write off? And Jesus begins to tell a parable of a man who goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem down all the way to, to Jericho, an, an arduous journey, a dangerous journey. And on that journey, the man is, is mugged and ambushed and, and left for dead. Along come two people, people of his own ethnicity, people of his own religion, and they ignore him. For whatever reason, they ignore him. In comes the Samaritan. You know this if you, if you did any Sunday school at all. What does the Samaritan do? Helps him. The enemy, the Samaritan, helps him. The simple point of the parable, and we must not obscure the beautiful, simple truth that Jesus is trying to teach us, is that the designation of neighbor... The designation of neighbor, those that we are to be hospitable to, the designation of neighbor knows no ethnic, religious, or or socioeconomic barriers. Now we need to do a hard look in the mirror here. Can we honestly say that this is true of our table? That our table is socioeconomically, ethnically, religiously diverse. I know that I cannot say that of mine. Some of you know we moved into the Hastings Sunrise neighborhood a few months ago because we're planting a church there. We had friends who bought a house for the express purpose of letting us live there so that we could reach that neighborhood. Unbelievable. We we're going to this, this house and we're doing some renovations kind of stuff. Uh, and and we're, we're driving up. And the house, on the back alleyway of the house, there's a, a low-income uh, housing building. And the men from that building and some men from my street, uh, they gather together in that back alleyway, and God bless them, they like to party. Uh, and they set up chairs back there, and they're drinking their beer, and they're smoking their cigarettes. And I remember, I'm driving in with my minivan, with like my wife and my three kids in the back, and I'm like, oh no, like white-knuckling my steering wheel, whatever we got into here. And, and to my shame, to my shame, my first thought, seeing those guys out there, seeing, you know, how... Seeing those guys out there was, how fast can I build a fence? As a follower of Jesus, that is to be repented of. I remember a few days later, I I talked to Ryan. I said, Ryan, you know those guys in the back? Like, what's the deal with the guys in the back? And Ryan, my friend who bought the house, begins naming those guys. He knows all of them. He knows all their story. He's, he, he's a friend of theirs. They've been in the house. They've been at the table. The who of hospitality is all people. It's people inside the church and people outside the church. It's people like you, and it's people very much unlike you. That's the who of hospitality. Finally, the what of hospitality. What does hospitality actually look like? Some of you up until this point uh, are, are quite conflicted because you agree that the biblical narrative seems to be arguing this, that the Bible seems to be teaching something called hospitality. More than that, you, you, you want to do it. Seems like a good idea. You're just looking at your calendar on your phone right now and you're wondering, when am I going to have time to do this? You know, if I have a whole day to prep, I have to do all these things, when am I going to have time to do this? Here I want us to see what hospitality is not. 
And this is a very, very helpful distinction. Hospitality is not hosting. Hospitality is not hosting. Hospitality is not entertaining. Uh, author and Bible teacher Jen Wilkin, she wrote a, a, an amazing article a few years ago about this difference between hospitality and entertaining. And she said this, entertaining is always thinking about the next course. Hospitality burns the rolls because it was listening to a story. Entertaining obsesses over what went wrong. Hospitality savors what was shared. Entertaining, exhausted, says, it was nothing, really. Hospitality thinks it was nothing, really. Entertaining seeks to impress. Hospitality seeks to bless. And not to miss an opportunity to quote Rosaria again. She says, Entertainment is about impressing people and keeping them at arm's length. Hospitality is about opening up your heart and your home, just as you are, and being willing to invite Jesus into the conversation, not to stop the conversation, but to deepen it. Don't miss the role of the gospel in all of this. Hospitality says, look at me. Look at what I've done. Sorry, hosting. It says, look at me. Look at what I've done. Entertaining says, look at me. Look at the spread I prepared for you. Hospitality says, look at Jesus. And he even accepts a person like me. And my laundry's on the couch. And toys are everywhere. And I'm pretty sure that's a dirty diaper over there. (laughs) Confident in the gospel, we can invite people into our homes, in our lives, knowing that all the approval, all the good job that we ever need has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Again, it has to start by the gospel, but it is fueled. It is continued by the gospel as well, too. Further... One of the pitfalls of hospitality that we can fall into is to think it is simply enough to invite somebody into our home for a meal and then just send them on their way. Now, I'm not suggesting you invite somebody over and then ambush them with like a gospel PowerPoint presentation. But what I am suggesting, indeed pleading with you, is that if Jesus never enters the conversation, if Jesus and how he's changed your life never once comes up, then what you're doing is really not that different than a soup kitchen. What you're doing is really not that different than what a lot of people are doing. Jesus has to be in that conversation. Indeed, he must be the the centrality of that conversation. We've got to speak the gospel. So hospitality, take take a big sigh of relief, is not hosting. It's not entertaining. It is something much more profound and life-giving. Entertaining, resource and fueled by us, can happen if you're an extrovert, maybe once or twice a week. If you're an introvert, like once a year. But hospitality, radically ordinary hospitality, founded in the gospel, resourced by the Spirit, quickly becomes an all-of-life, everyday thing. And the question we have to ask now is, this sounds good. It sounds right. We, We all sort of like this. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? I'm making an assumption here, and I could be wrong, that by and large, I know there are some of you who are very good at hospitality. But by and large, culturally, we are very bad at hospitality. And simply ask somebody who's not from here, and they will confirm that, that, that thought with you. That we are a culture who is bad at hospitality. And I think what's at the heart of this, or perhaps at least at the center, could be summarized in a word that we love. So if you, if you wanted to stone me before about the house thing, I gra- grab some more stones. This is going to be a nice one. There's this word we really love, and it's this word boundaries. Boundaries. 
Oh, we love boundaries. We are to walk and live wisely. In fact, we're going to do a whole series in Proverbs this summer to that end. We're, we want to walk and live wisely. But on the whole, we've made an idol of boundaries in our culture, both inside and outside the church. The language of boundaries is borrowed not from the Bible, but from secular therapy and psychology. It is the language of self-preservation, not self-giving. It is the language of people, people like you and I who are naturally selfish, looking for some sort of justification, looking to throw up some sort of smokescreen as to why we can't do that. Consider the conversation of boundaries on a cosmic level for a second. Satan approaches the eternal father. You're really going to give your son, your one and only son, to be crucified to save these people? These people? But what about boundaries? That seems a bit excessive. Unhealthy, even. Hear me again. Plan wisely. A life committed to radically ordinary hospitality takes looking ahead, takes being diligent, takes making plans. It also takes ensuring that your household is all on the same page. If you came as a couple here this morning, I guarantee you, one of you is more excited about this than the other. <laughs> one of you is like, oh no, what are you doing to me, Jake? Run together. When you're training for, for a long distance running, running race, you, you train at the speed of the slower person. Run together. Radically ordinary hospitality is a marathon. It's not a sprint. But don't not do this because you are hiding behind our cultural idol of boundaries. It seems like when something is fun or when something we love comes up, we, we, we extend those boundaries, don't we? They, they suddenly become quite, quite flexible. Boundaries has become a wise-sounding way of getting out of things that we don't want to do of getting out of things that Jesus commands us to do. The North American Christian experience of hosting people we already like once a week when it works for us and then crossing them off the list as people we don't need to have over anymore is a historical anomaly in the life of the Christian church and we have justified it as normative. We have drank deeply from the culture on this point. Let me leave you with the gospel. We are imperfect people in need of grace. As imperfect people, we love our free time more than our neighbor. Please. As imperfect people, we schedule our week, we sign up our kids for programs, we book our vacations without any thought as to how this will impact our ability to regularly and generously show radically ordinary hospitality. As imperfect people... Fear stops us before we can even get going. Thinking to ourselves, what would they think of my house? What would they think of my food? What would other people think of having th th this person over? Is this person even safe? We are imperfect people in need of the gospel. And so behold the gospel this morning. We need the reminder that we come into this world as outsiders. Sojourners, strangers, exiles, alienated from the commonwealth of grace alienated strangers the covenants of promise but in christ jesus in christ jesus through his blood his blood that he shed on on the cross his costly blood we have been brought near we've become family strangers into neighbors into family of god
So behold the gospel this morning. Behold the gospel today. And having savored your own salvation, walk to the house next door. Walk to the office across the hall. Walk towards those guys hanging out in the alley. And begin to use your Christian home in a daily way to make strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family of God. Would you stand with me as we respond this morning? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.